Well, thank you, Tim, and good morning, everybody. It's good to, uh, it's good to be together today. It's a beautiful day. And uh, wherever you may be worshiping, welcome online as well. Uh, it, is, it is special to be uh, together. If you would, please grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And, uh, you know, a day like today, it is, we are definitely one church worshiping in a lot of different locations today. And, uh, and yet unified, as Tim just talked about, in our mission, helping people find and follow Jesus. We're also unified in this sermon series we're going through. The, the sacrifice is what it's called. And we're looking at the gospel of Mark and we're, we're really rounding near the end of this book. And we're, we're, we're getting to where uh, the, the last, we're in the last week of Jesus's life. And we're, we're looking at the events that happened during that week and getting closer to the cross and, and really taking on the question of why did Jesus go to the cross and what's the significance of the cross to your life and to mine today, nearly 2000 years later. In many ways, Jesus was born to die, and the significance of the cross is central to what it means to be a follower of, of Christ. And so hopefully you've been encouraged by this series. I do want to just remind you and encourage you on the devotional guys I say every Sunday, especially, especially if you haven't picked one up yet, or maybe you have one and, and maybe you've gotten out of habit or just not using it as much as we're working through this series, get back to it because here near the end of this series, the passages are so key that we're looking at in Mark and they're right here in the devotional. And so I just want to re- encourage you to, to grab that and to use it and, uh, and just to stay vigilant as we continue to work our way through to the end of this amazing, amazing book. And today is, is a special day. Today we're gonna be celebrating communion. And we're gonna be doing that in just a moment. And so I wanna mention that if you are at home and, and there's, there's a lot, of, like a spring break. And so a lot of you, maybe you're traveling today or maybe you got snowed in this morning. Uh, but whatever it is, if you're at home this morning and you're not ready for it, would you just run right now and grab some crackers, bread, juice, anything you have in your home? Uh, because you're gonna need that later on as we, take communion uh, together this morning. Our passage that we're looking at in Mark chapter 14, we are now in the last week of Jesus' life, we're on Thursday. So we've made our way through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the Bible, the Gospels don't give us any information about Wednesday. Now we're on to Thursday. We are hours away from Jesus's arrest, from his trials that he's going to go through, from eventually his crucifixion. In this night that we're going to look at, this special event on Thursday, where Mark gives us a glimpse of Jesus's final meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. We're going to be deep diving into that this morning. At this time, though, they called it the Passover. And and to help us understand the Passover and what was going on during this moment with Jesus and his disciples, I want to just push pause, jump to the Old Testament briefly, and unpack a little bit of what's going on with these feasts and festivals with Israel, because it gives us the context of what's happening here. In fact, if you want to research more on your own, Leviticus chapter 23 is a key chapter here. Leviticus 23 lays out seven different feasts and festivals that the Jewish people would Uh, annually would celebrate. And and I'm not going to cover all of them by any means, but I do want to mention the first two. The very first one of the calendar year is what was called, what is called the Passover. The Passover is always the first celebration. And and it's one we're going to talk about here in just a moment, but it was, it is celebrating a defining moment in Israel's history. The second 
that's a feast. The second festival is called the Festival of, of Unleavened Bread. And it begins right at the tail end of the Passover feast. And so you have two of the seven take place really just about simultaneously. Now, the, the Passover is a meal. The Festival of Unleavened Bread is a week-long celebration. And so when Jesus and others would, would come to Jerusalem for the Passover meal and festival, they would end up staying an entire week past the Passover and would continue to celebrate uh, an important moment in Israel's history. In the moment for Passover, what it refers to is remembering the rescue of Israel from bondage, from slavery in Egypt. And this event in their history goes back to this story, and they would tell the story over and over again about how Israel, through and it's a bit of a story, gets to Egypt, and then they're in bondage under Pharaoh, and they cried out to God over and over again for deliverance, and God was faithful to his promise and heard the cries of the people, and so he responded. He, he raised up Moses. And he sent Moses, a reluctant leader, back into Israel to do what really was the impossible. And that was to, to be used to deliver the, the people of Israel, millions strong, out of the land of Egypt. And so Moses goes back and he says, look, God says to let my people go. And Pharaoh pretty much laughs and says, that's not going to happen. And so God says, it's okay. Because I know the heart of Pharaoh. And so God then sends these, these uh, judgments, if you will, 10 judgments on Egypt. And, and we read about them in the book of Exodus. But the 10th one was the worst. Because the 10th one was judgment. And it was a judgment where God says, I'm going to be coming on a specific night. And the firstborn of every household will die. That's a sobering, that is a very sobering type of judgment here. But God was also gracious because he says, but, but for those of you who heed my words, I graciously am gonna give you a way out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a spotless lamb. I want you to sacrifice that lamb and then take, take that blood with a hyssop branch. And I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it over the door frames of the house. And when, and when judgment comes, when the Lord comes through the land and anywhere he sees the blood on the door frames of the house, that he would then pass over that house and judgment would not come to that house. You see, in every house, when they woke up the next day, there was either a dead child or a dead lamb. And the lamb became the substitute. It became the sacrificial substitute uh, to, to graciously uh, protect, if you will, and deliver the people that were in that home. And so the, the, the Jewish people would heed that and they would sacrifice the lamb. And there was so much that went into this celebration, but every Passover, God instituted this meal that they would remember God's graciousness and his faithfulness. And they would remember what happened on that Passover. So every year the Jewish people would get together and they would eat a fire roasted lamb and they would eat bitter herbs and they would uh, eat unleavened bread. And they would remember by going through the Old Testament verses, God's faithfulness and what he did to deliver the people out of Egypt in that Passover event that took place on that special day. But here's the key. And if you have your bulletin, it's your first fill in the blank. And really it's gonna highlight where we're gonna go this morning. Because the Passover is historical. The Passover happened and it's a key part of the, uh, of the nation of Israel's story. But the thing about the Passover is it points 
to Jesus. Everything about the Passover points to Jesus. And this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the Last Supper. We're gonna look at the Passover. I wanna help us to see how this special meal that was celebrated every single year was really and ultimately about Christ. And so that's our goal this morning as we jump into Mark chapter 14. It's also gonna help us to prepare our hearts as in here shortly, we're gonna be receiving the bread and the juice and partaking together of communion. Let's begin in Mark 14, beginning in verse 12. Our text begins this way this morning. It says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, which we just talked about, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus asked, um, Jesus asked him, excuse me, the Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And so he sent two of his disciples, which we know, by the way, is Peter and John, telling them, go into the city, into Jerusalem, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Which, by the way, this would have stood out. Men didn't typically carry jars of water. And so to have a man doing that and showing up would have gotten their attention and been very unusual for that event to take place. But Jesus continues. He says, I want you to follow him. And then say to the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room? If you have your Bible, underline or circle that word guest room. Because in the Greek, that word is kataluma. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Kataluma in the Greek is that word. The teacher asks, where is my guest room or where is the kataluma? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large room upstairs. Underline and circle that phrase, large room upstairs. That word is anagion in the Greek, anagion. And it will be furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. The disciples left and went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. So you notice here, I'm gonna pause real quick. Notice here that Jesus gives very specific instructions. And so Peter and John head into the city and their job is to get ready for this meal. But Jesus says, look, you're gonna ask through arrangement of meeting somebody, you're gonna ask the owner of that home for the Cataluma. Now, real quick, the Cataluma was the part of the home. I actually wanna show you a picture here that you can look at. But this is where, and it's the arrow pointing down. It's that sort of dark entrance room there as this example of a home during this time in history. It was where animals were kept. It was sort of the storage unit. It's where supplies were kept. Um, it, basically, it was the garage. It's, it's what we do. It, you know, we park the car. We got stuff in there. The trash cans are in there or whatever. It's the garage. The Cataluma is the garage. And so Jesus said, look, I want you to go and ask the owner of the house for the Cataluma where we may eat our Passover meal. This was a pretty humble request, a place to go. As an aside, Jesus was born in a Cataluma. That's where he was born, basically the garage of somebody's home. But what Jesus says will happen is you will go and you will ask for the Cataluma, but the owner of the house will be very generous, very gracious. And the owner of the house is going to show you and give you the anagion, which was the large upper room. That's the upstairs arrow. This was a special place. This was the best room in the house. This was the place that uh, would be used for these special types of, of festivals and feasts. This was the best room where people would go and read their Bibles or have family gatherings. It was on the upstairs, the highest area there. And it was, again, used for these special moments and events. The owner of this house would have, in preparation for the Passover, already spent a great amount of time preparing this room. He would have had the, the plates and the utensils, the napkins, the candles. 
Everything would have been laid out and being prepared for this special feast. But the owner of the home said, for the teacher, for Jesus, I'm gonna give him my best. He can have the upper room. And we don't know, the scriptures don't tell us, but it's altogether possible that the family then went downstairs and they had their Passover celebration in the garage. This again was a very generous gesture by the owner of the home. And it gives us some texture, I think, of what's going on here on this first, or not this, uh, this special Passover meal. Let's continue on in verse 17. The preparations have been made, and it continues, it says, when evening came, this is approximately 6 p.m., Jesus arrived with the 12, that is the 12 disciples. And maybe possibly for the very first time, Jesus, as we're gonna see here in a moment, he's gonna be the host of the meal. The person who hosts the Passover meal, that was a position of honor. That was a person who, who um, led everybody through all the details of the meal. Because you see, the Passover meal had a script, if you will, that was supposed to be followed step by step. And so Jesus would have had the honor of leading the meal. He would have had the honor of sitting in the best seat. Uh, he, would have, he would have been the, the, the person of honor there. And speaking of seating, this image right here also helps us know that we know some of the arrangement of the seating for that last meal. You see, the way that they would eat would be on a very low table. They would have pillows. And so it was more like lounging than sitting at chairs like what we do as Americans today. And we see there that Jesus in the seat of honor, the host always sat in that seat. We know that John was next to him because he leaned up against him during the Passover meal. We know Judas was there as they were dipping together their hands in the same bowl of oil. And we know Peter was where he was at. He took the least seat of honor due to the whole other circumstance about some of the arrogance of Peter and you'll never wash my feet. So we have this arrangement and everybody begins to take their seats. And these men have, have celebrated the Passover many times in their lives, even as young boys and now as adults. And this meal was a very special meal filled with symbolism that was about to happen. Let's keep going in verse 18. Mark doesn't give us all the details of the meal, but here's the glimpse he does provide. It says, while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you, will betray me, one who is eating with me. And of course, this is Judas Iscariot. And they were saddened. And one by one, they said to him, surely you don't mean me. And Jesus said, it is, the one, it is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. And the son of man will go just as, as is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then we learn from the Gospel of John that Judas Iscariot at that moment got up and he left the meal. Now, the other disciples didn't understand what was going on, but it was important that Judas was not in the meal for the, what's about to happen. And so Judas leaves. Now there's only 11 disciples. And the meal continues on. And as I just mentioned, this, this Passover meal is packed with with symbolism, and it has a specific script. Now, specifically, the Passover meal would have gone through some different phases, and specifically four phases. The, the meal had four different sections, if you will, and each section uh, was associated with some sayings that were told, some scriptures that were laid out, each phase attached to a promise that we're going to look at in just a moment, and every phase also was attached to a, a cup of wine. 
And so the, the, the process of leading them through, Jesus would have done that. Now, the promises and the flow of the whole evening for the Passover meal was rooted in an Old Testament passage that I want to show you right now, because this is such an important and key passage here. Everything revolved around this passage. In Exodus chapter 6, God is speaking to Moses and Moses is completely discouraged because Pharaoh is not cooperating and letting him go. And God uh, is going to reassure Moses, look, I know Pharaoh's heart and I know it's hard. And by the way, Moses, you showed up and even the Israel and the, and the leaders of Israel, they're saying, Moses, you're crazy. This is never going to work. Moses is looking at something that is literally impossible and he's coming before God discouraged. And, and God says these words to Moses, specifically four promises. I want to go really slow through here to help us understand these four promises that he will give. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. God says this. He says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Let me pause there. If you have your Bible, I have some things in red there. God says, look, I'm going to do something. This is graciousness, this is faithfulness, this is God's promise. He says, Moses, I promise you, I am gonna rescue Israel out from the Egyptians. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I will bring you out. I know you're under a yoke of, of affliction. I know you're under a yoke of, of slavery in Egypt. But Moses, count on it, stand on it, and trust me, I will, I promise, I will rescue you. I will bring you out. That's promise number one. Then the Passover meal was associated with a cup of wine. Promise number two, he continues on. He says, and, and, and I will, again, under, or, uh, underline this too. He says, I will, I will free you for being slaves to them. Here's the second promise gives. God says, I, I'm gonna set you free from bondage. You're under slavery. You are owned by somebody else but I'm about to set you free. I promise it's gonna happen. He continues on a third promise. He says, in addition, I will, I will redeem you or save you with an outstretched arm and with, a mighty, with mighty acts of judgment. A third promise. God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna powerfully save you. I promise. Watch Moses, watch how I do this. And finally, number four, he says, I will, I love this. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. This is promise number four. Here's a promise about, about a renewed relationship with him, that God was gonna establish this renewed relationship. Again, this, this beautiful promise. And so it put Moses and the nation of Israel in a position of, of faith. Are we gonna trust God with these promises? And so for years, and of course, God was faithful to those promises. And for years, when they would celebrate the Passover, they would bring back each of those promises and there would be a cup of wine associated with it. And they do the second promise, a cup of wine associated with it. Now, I want to bring us to the Last Supper. This is amazing. This is amazing. When Jesus was leading the Last Supper, he led them through the first promise and the first cup. And then later in the meal, he brought them to the second promise. And he talked about that, and he held up that cup, and they all partake of the, of the cup, the second promise. But something interesting happened because when Jesus got to the third cup and the third promise, he changed the script. And the disciples would have been scratching their heads saying, what is he, what is he doing? That, that's not what he's supposed to say. 
That's totally different than what we expected and for years what we have, what we have done. See, on the third cup, Jesus stood. Now, here's what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to stand up and grab bread and break the bread and read a passage from Deuteronomy 26. And he would have said something like this. He was supposed to say something like this. This bread represents our affliction, the affliction of our fathers who wandered in the desert for all those years. That's what he was supposed to say. But that night, Jesus stood and he did take bread and he broke the bread. And then this is what happened next. Look at me at verse 22. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take it. This is my body. These men had never heard that before. These men would have been saying, what? Your body? What are you, what are you talking about? Jesus, you, you got it wrong. Can we help you? Can we, can we show you the script? It actually looks like this. You're supposed to say this and hand that over to them. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and exactly what he's saying. What he's saying here is this bread, this broken bread, it represents my affliction and my suffering and my body. Do you remember the third promise? The third promise that he gave, the third promise says this, that God promised for, for Israel, for Egypt, I will powerfully save you. I will powerfully bring you out of Egypt. I will deliver you. I will rescue and redeem you. That was the promise. Jesus is saying in this moment, he's saying, look, God did that. God was faithful to bring you out of Egypt, but, but something new is happening today. Because just as God was faithful to redeem you out of Egypt, I'm gonna redeem you too. But I'm the ultimate redeemer. Because while you were in bondage to Pharaoh, to a man in Egypt, today you sit in bondage to your sin. And by my body broken for you, about what I'm about to do for you, I'm gonna fulfill that third promise, but I'm gonna do so in the ultimate way that you've never seen come and never expected. I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna pull you out. I'm gonna set you free from your sins. This is a significant change in this moment. Jesus is saying, I'm the substitute sacrifice. But he wasn't done. Because it wasn't much longer in the meal. He was supposed to wrap it up. He was supposed to go back to the script, I suppose, for the fourth cup and the fourth promise. And Jesus stood up and he grabbed the fourth cup, the cup of wine, and he was supposed to talk about that promise. Instead, this is what happens. What happened in verse 23? He says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, This is my, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Again, what? Your, your blood? Like, what are you talking about? What, what's going on? The disciples, again, would have been completely confused on, on what's going on here. As Jesus says, this, this cup, it, it symbolizes my life. My life, my, my blood poured out, given for you. Remember the Passover and the blood and all of that? But, but this is something more significant because you remember the fourth promise? What was the fourth promise? The fourth promise was a renewed relationship that God was going to establish this renewed relationship with his people. 
to say that I will be your God and you will be my people. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that happened. God was faithful to his promises back then and we remember that every Passover celebration. But now he's saying something more significant. He's saying, with my life, with my sacrifice, with, with my blood, I'm gonna establish an ultimate and lasting eternal relationship with you. And it's gonna happen through me. This is what he's gonna do. Again, Jesus as the substitute sacrifice. And then finishing up this passage, we'll, we'll wrap up here to drive this home. What Jesus does next is he uses promise-keeping language here. He says, look, what you've just heard, I'm paraphrasing now, is, is significant and major, but I want you to understand to his disciples and to us 2,000 years later that he's saying, I'm going to make an oath, a promise to you that all of this will happen. And it is true. And you can count on it completely. This new covenant that Jesus was establishing because he finishes up and he says this, I, tr I truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is, this is a figure of speech. This, this is a way of saying, like we would say today, like even if it kills me, I'm gonna blah, blah, blah. Like sort of like an oath type of language. This is essentially what he's doing. He's saying, this is my promise. Count on it. Stand on it. This is true. What you're about to see me go through for you, this, this, what I'm about to accomplish as the substitute sacrifice, you can count on it. This is an oath that is not only to those disciples, it's, it's to you as well. For any of you who ever wonder, like, what's the cross about? And is the cross even for me? And, and what does it have to do with me? It has everything to do with us. And Jesus here says, you can count on it. And, and the thing about this here, what's interesting is that today, if we do a legally binding document, we, we sign it and we probably get it notarized. Like that's how you make it official. Well, back then, the way they would make it official, something that was like legal, legit, like carved in stone, especially a covenant between a person and God, is it was marked by blood. What they would do, in fact, they would take an animal, an unblemished animal, and they would, they would sacrifice the animal. Then they would cut the animal in half. I know, it sounds gory, but this is what they would do. Cut the animal in half, put it on two sides, and the person would then, would then walk in between the halves of the animal, and they would say what they were committing to do, the oath, the covenant they were making. They would speak that as they walked in between the halves of the sacrificed animal. And Jesus, again, highlighting this oath, this oath points back to that. And it points back to, by the way, that animal, that sacrifice, that blood, it's me. I'm the foundation for the covenant. You can count on me. It all comes back to me. And this is the beautiful thing. As I mentioned before, the Passover, it's all about Jesus. It was always about Jesus pointing to him. And Jesus that night telling them, and then by extension telling us, I'm the one who rescues you. I'm the one who sets you free. I'm the one that redeems you. And it's through me that you can have a second chance redeemed relationship. Where he says, I will be your father. I will be your Lord. I will be your God and you will be my people. It always had to do with Jesus. And you know what's amazing about this as we begin to close this morning? That's the gospel. That's the gospel stamped in the Old Testament with the Passover. In fact, this is interesting. 
Every single gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about the Last Supper. And none of them mention the centerpiece of the Last Supper, which is the lamb. Now, I'm not saying the lamb wasn't served. It just is never spoken of. It's never talked about. There's never, there's never the lamb, which was the centerpiece of everything for this meal, because it all pointed to the Passover. And you could infer from this that there's no lamb on the table because it was the lamb of God who was at the table. Because again, Jesus is the point. He is the lamb. He is the sacrifice. He is the one. It's his blood that allows Jesus to pass over us as well in judgment. And so we, we come back to that in terms of Jesus as the centerpiece of the gospel. Now on that end, here's what I want to do. We're going to begin to transition now to partaking of the bread and the cup for ourselves this morning. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come up, if you would, please. And as they're coming, and also those are going to help hand out the elements, you could come forward as well. If, if you could travel back in time, and imagine you got the opportunity to interview a person who was there at, the last, at that Passover, that, that, that Passover event. And they, they exited out of Egypt and they, did the, they went through the, the Red Sea and they were led out into the wilderness and ultimately the promised land. If you got a chance to interview that person and to say, what happened? This is probably the answer you would get. They would say something like this. I, I was a slave and I was under the judgment of death. That was my lot. That was my future. But God showed up and he changed everything. Because you see, when God showed up, he, he did something. He, he provided the lamb. He, he, and what I did, I, look, I don't get it. All I did was I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. It was in that home and the doorposts were covered with the blood and I just took shelter under there and judgment passed over. And then something amazing happened. He rescued me. And he set me free. I was owned by nothing. And we would say, not even sin. And then God led me. And he led us through the wilderness, through some hard times. But we got to the promised land. And the thing about that narrative, it's our story too. That's exactly the story of following Jesus. That all of us have gone our own way. That all of us have turned aside. That all of us, look, judgment is for us. But God graciously provided a substitute sacrifice. And if you have trusted in Jesus, if you have taken shelter under his love and his sacrifice and his blood poured out for us and his body given for you, and that judgment passes over, but it doesn't just go away because the lamb took the judgment that should have been ours. And we get to have a renewed relationship with him. This morning, as we partake of the elements, we get to celebrate and remember Jesus, the gospel, why we're here and what it's all about. 
the bread and the, the cup, they're just bread and it's just juice, but they're symbolism. It's reminders to all of us. And so what's going to happen is they're going to hand out, the gentleman will hand out the items here. If you would take them and hold them, if you're at home, take yours, your elements and hold them too, and we'll partake together. All the bread here on campus is gluten-free, so if that's a concern, it's, it's all gluten-free. But holding on to that, and as you do, and as the worship team is playing, you can reflect on the song, the lyrics of the song, but taking time, no matter what, would you, would you take time to say thank you? Would you take time just enjoying God in, in confession, if that's where you're at, and to thank him for the sacrifice? Thank him for what he did for us. Let's go ahead and partake together, and the gentleman will hand out the elements.